Father, as we come to this time, we, we give you praise for letting us gather here, to giving us vision, to see you for who you are, the creator, the one who loved us above all. Father, help us to honor you, continue to be our vision, be our delight. Let us be content because of you. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself through your word and most perfectly through Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. This week we have been in 1 Timothy as we've been uh, just reading along with the church family. And if you've noticed, uh, there is this reminder to Timothy time and time again, the great value of church leaders, specifically elders and servants and deacons. And as I read that, I was convicted of this, and I don't say this enough. I thank God for the godly leaders of our church family, the elders, the servants, the Sunday school teachers, the staff. And I just want to celebrate them now and say thank you. Let's praise God for them. If you are married to especially one of the elders, I thank you and your family for the sacrifice you make uh, to make them available uh, at unique times and, and high, uh, just, just high intensity at times. And so we thank you as well. I, I also, uh, just thinking about uh, these type of matters, I want to thank God for my family. Been here five years now, and I, don't, I know I don't do this enough, but I thank God for my personal family, uh, my four boys and my daughter daily. Uh, there's a sacrifice to them as well, and I, I thank them for the partnership within the kingdom here at Greenville, and I'm so appreciative of them. If you see them around the community, like all the other students, uh, be encouraging them about going back to school and just uh, living life, and hold them accountable. Uh, we, we are, Tiffany and I are first parents to them, but we also ask you to help us bring them up in God's way. One other thing that uh, really got me thinking about this is I praise God for my wife, Tiffany. Uh, this week, this weekend, we celebrated 22 years of marriage, and she is the most amazing ministry partner God could ever bless me with, and, and I praise God for her. It is um, a tremendous blessing uh, that she brings to, to my life. Uh, one of the things, though, after 22 years of marriage that I've realized and more convicted of all the time especially for the guys, we need to be careful about answering questions, okay? I don't know if any guys can relate to this, but your questions from your spouse is not exactly as easy to answer as you initially think. This is kind of a public service announcement for the guys in the room, whether you are um, just getting engaged, maybe you've been married for a few years, or you've been married for a long time. Handle questions from your spouse carefully, okay? Here about This is the first one that came to my mind. You've heard this one before. It's kind of a, just a, a simple uh, comedic question that comes apart, but it's very dangerous. How about this one? Does this outfit make me look fat? You ever, ever get that one? All right. Now, if, if, uh, if your wife comes up to you and asks that, handle that with very much concern. I, I wonder if anybody's bold enough to say you've ever had that. Don't raise your hand. That was a loaded question in and of itself. Or how about this one? If your wife comes up to you and says, what are you thinking about? Ladies, that's a good question. It's a, it's a very good question. It can help start conversations. It can get us talking. But ladies, if your husband, after a long day, maybe a long day at work, if they're actually sitting on the couch and their answer to you is nothing, they're probably being honest. They're just not thinking about anything. It's just the way it is sometimes, okay? Or how about this one? I've never had this one asked, but a wife may ask this at some point. If I die before you, do you think you'll fall in love again and remarry? It's a, diff a difficult question, okay? It, it, be very careful how you answer that. But if for some strange reason you decide to answer, and the answer is yes, be very careful. Under no circumstances would I advise you to answer the next question, 
Okay? Or whatever question that may be. Because I heard about one guy whose wife asked him, do you think you'll fall in love again or remarry? And he quickly said yes. And she was very heartbroken, disappointed, frustrated. So she came back with another question. And she said, okay, if you're going to remarry, uh, do you think you'll ever let your new wife uh, use my golf clubs that you gave to me on my anniversary? And he says, oh, no, heavens no, honey. She's left-handed. Be very careful how you answer these questions, okay? Sometimes in today's world, questions should be avoided, but we can't be afraid of them. In fact, I think questions are a real part of growing deep. They, they really are. In relationships, for example, just in our house this weekend after 22 years of marriage, we are still answering real questions, just simple questions like who's going to mow the grass? I don't know if anybody can relate to that in their own home. Or who will do the laundry? Uh, who's going to do the dishes? Uh, who's going to get up with the kids when they're up late at night or the dogs when they need to get up early in the morning? These are questions you have to wrestle with. And for the most part, Tiffany and I have gotten to the point after 22 years, we figure those out. But this week, we had a question we've never had to answer before. It was a question that came to us through the Internet. After 22 years of marriage and a contract with a cell phone company that I will not um, identify who it is, we were out of our, like, uh, we were locked out of our account and we had to pay the bill, but you couldn't talk to anybody on the phone. You had to do it through the Internet. So after about an hour of trying to gain access to our account, Tiffany finally gets to the point where she's asked that security question. And there was only one there to answer. And for whatever reason, whenever I set up the account 22 years ago, I only put one security question that would definitely get us back in. It was, where did you meet your wife? Okay, that was the question that I had placed within the system. She put in the most logical answers. We met at church 20, like three years ago. That wasn't the answer. We met in Streeter, Illinois. We met during, while we were in college. All of those were denied. And by this point, it's like, you've got to wait 15 minutes to answer any more questions. So in the meantime, she calls me and says, Tyson, on the uh, cell phone account, what question, what would your answer be for where you met your wife? And I told her the three basic things at church and Streeter and uh, during college. And she says, none of those are right. And I said, well, you've got to give me another question. She, goes, she says, there is no other question. We are locked out of this because you don't know where we met. <laughs> and I says, there has to be another question. How can there be only one question? Questions are valuable. It really got me thinking as, as I was diving into this sermon of growing deep. Sometimes we get so frustrated about questions and not being able to answer them. But guys, we can't be afraid of them. In fact, questions are some of the greatest tools of diving deep and growing deep. Uh, the, the title of this message, I don't usually say this, is very simple. It, it's grow deep asking questions and attaining truth. We need to be ready to embrace questions because I believe I'm, I'm totally uh, committed to this truth that this Word of God has the questions we need for life. And as we have questions, we need to dive into them and hold on to these. Here's what Peter says about this dilemma in 1 Peter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. What are they asking? They're not asking statements. They're asking questions uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have but do with gentleness and respect. So two things to remember here. Always be ready to give an answer for the questions of how we have hope and do it with gentleness and respect. And those two guidelines are such a blessing. But we need to understand that questions compel our faith to grow. Even healthy debate doesn't hurt. God can use questions and debate to strengthen our faith. 
But let me share with you this as we dive into some questions today. There's a point when there's questions all from the world, we have to hold on to our faith in Christ. Look at what the Word of God says. Paul tells Titus, we must hold firm to the trustworthy word as, as taught so that you'll be able to give instructions in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is telling Timothy, this young pastor, he says, while there's questions all around, you've got to hold on to what you know is true so that you'll be able to give sound teaching. Look what Jude says in Jude uh, verse 3. I ask you to stand up for the faith. God's holy people were entrusted with it once and for all time. Wow, we can question everything. Jude is letting us know there was one faith presented to God's people uh, from the, the moment the church began all the way for all time, and that truth is Jesus Christ uh, uh, crucified, buried, and risen and coming again. He says we've got to hold on to that for all time. That's why this week we also read from, uh, Paul tell Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ. There's a recent trend that's growing that's not much different than what Timothy encountered about 2,000 years ago in the church in Ephesus. It's this trend to ask questions and then um, actually break everything down of everything you believe and, and hold on then to what you want to build up whatever faith you want. This is called um, deconstructionism. And this is this new trendy idea that everything should be questioned then you build up your faith as you want. While it is fine to ask questions, Paul would remind us, no matter how much we break things down, we cannot let go or, or release our faith in Christ Jesus and give an answer for the hope we have in him. Last week, I shared with you about my new friend that I met through her grandson. She's here today. This is Kimberly. Um, last week, Kimberly and I were talking, and her grandson said, I, I, Tyson, uh, could you go and share uh, about the faith in Jesus with my grandma? I want her to know everything about heaven. And so I went over to Kimberly's house, and we started talking about faith, and she had questions. Let me tell you. Uh, Kimberly would not be afraid to share this with you, but right now she is partially paralyzed because of a stroke and lupus, and she's in a wheelchair, and life is difficult. One of the first questions she asked me, if God is so loving, why do so many bad things happen? Uh, the next question, uh, I didn't even get time to answer that one. She said, if, if this world is so much a mess, how can we have any hope? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I could tell the pain was real, but she continued to, to listen. She continued to to be a, a part of the, the discussion. And, and I shared the good news, and I shared the hope we have in G Jesus, and she continued to listen. And one of the things, while I don't have all the answers, what, what has hit her family's life and what, what has hit her life personally is, is tragic, and there's, there's nothing that words can make better, but, but we got to cling to the, the fact that Jesus Christ provides hope to all who believe. Listen to the words in, the, in God's Word in Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. One of the things that Kimberly asked was, does everyone have an opportunity to be forgiven and go to heaven? And I could clearly, quickly say the answer is yes. It is the power to save anyone and everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ. So what is amazing about the rest of that testimony, she came here today in hopes to not only get to know you, but to make that confession about Jesus with the church family here. So I would like you to hear her testimony and, and make that great confession, and then she will soon be baptized. Um, so Kimberly, if you would, uh, I'm going to let you hold this, and I'm going to kind of spin you around so everybody, uh, so you can see uh, the church family. 
And Kimberly, I would just like you to take that, repeat that good confession, uh, very similar that you did last week in your own home, um, and before the church family, and most importantly before God, about what you believe in Him and trusting that He has the power to save no matter what. So repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And He's my Savior. And He's my Savior. And He's my Lord. And He's my Lord. Let's praise God for that. God bless you. That is an amazing testimony. And I give thanks also for her family. Uh, for the support she's been given, and her grandson who said, I want my grandma to know about Jesus. Cling to the faith in Christ. When everything else is fading away, when, when we don't have the answers, when questions are crumbling in, what will not fade away is our faith in Jesus and his love for us. So what happens when somebody like Kimberly would say, well, I don't believe any of that. And that, that's happened to me. I have far more stories of rejection than open hearts like Kimberly saying, I don't want to believe. I don't believe anything. What we need to do is, strangely enough, ask them questions. Here, here's what doesn't work. Remember, Peter says, live such a life where you can share the hope of Christ, but do it with gentleness and respect. Here, here's what I know. Let's say her name is Kelly. And you get to the same point with Kelly. She said, I don't believe this at all. One thing that we can't do is, is begin to, to point fingers and, and to abuse her and walk away from that relationship, but continue to have gentleness and respect. And I think you ask a question. You would ask a question like this. If, she would, if they would say, I, I don't believe uh, that there's power to be saved through Jesus. And then you might say, well, you must not believe in the Bible because that's what the Bible clearly says. And oftentimes what they'll say is, no, I don't believe the Bible. You know, it's 2022, Pastor. Why would I believe the Bible it was written uh, 2,000 years ago? And, and, and then you might say another question. Well, what do you believe or think the Bible says about how to get to heaven? And this is the hardest part of the dilemma so far. You ask them what they think the Bible says, and you're going to get all different kinds of answers. But we've got to slow down instead of just uh, sharing with someone what we know the Bible says. We, we need to ask the question and then listen. And oftentimes you'll hear uh, different answers. But, but two of the most common are this. Uh, you can get to heaven by just making sure your uh, good things you do outweigh the bad things. You guys ever heard that philosophy in the world? As long as you have more good things and they outweigh the bad things, then you'll get to go to heaven. Does the Bible say that? No. Another philosophy is this, as long as you treat others the way you want to be treated, there's a path to heaven, the golden rule uh, way of salvation. The Bible doesn't say that either. While the golden rule is, is a great Christian uh, example and a great Christian uh, way to live your life, that does not save us. And after listening, whatever they may say, you could share, I'd like to share with you what the Bible says about salvation through Jesus. That nothing you can do or nothing you don't do allows you to have salvation on your own strength, but our righteousness and our salvation comes by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, that he died for our sins so that our sins, all sins, whether it's 100 or whether it's 100 million, might be forgiven through his sacrifice, that our righteousness comes through him. That's what the Bible teaches, and it begins to open their minds to the thought that they too could be saved, that their loved ones could be saved, that anyone can be saved by the power of the work through Christ in our lives. So keep the conversation going with questions. Jesus was the master at it. 
If you look at Jesus' life in in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we see a record of his life, he asked more questions than I know any other Bible character. In fact, in those four uh, stories of his life, there are roughly 150 questions that Jesus asked. And this, this blows my mind, because Jesus was omniscient. You know what that means? He knew everything, and yet he asked more questions than we all do. He's like a toddler almost in the sense he's not afraid of questions. Uh, What do you think? How does this happen? Why? When will you do this? Who do you say I am? Jesus never went into a situation with surprise. You know, he never walks uh, into Walmart and says, boy, that that caught me off guard. That came out of left field. He's aware of everything. He's fully God and fully human, yet he asks questions. Like the one we sang about. I don't know if you realize it, but it came from a question. The, the song with the language, and it's a little uncomfortable unless you know the context. Uh, that song says, I lay me down. I'm not my own. You know where that came from? In response to the question of Jesus in John chapter 13, will you lay down your life for my sake? That's the question Jesus asked his disciples. And in your affirmation of singing that song, you're testifying, I lay me down. But do you? Will you lay down your life for the sake of Jesus? Most of us will never have to literally, physically die for the sake of Christ. But that wasn't the case for his apostles. His disciples that followed him, all of them other than John, uh, died a martyr's death. Whether it was on the cross or by stoning, they all died for the sake of Jesus. They laid down their life, literally. John was the only one that died in kind of a normal way. The question is for us today, though, while we may not have to die physically, will you lay your life down for the sake of Jesus, to honor him, to, to respect him, to live for him? Will you allow your own wants, your own wishes at times to fade away, to live out his will. Remember the song says, your will, your way. Thank God I'm not singing that, right? But that's the question. Will you lay down your life for his sake? Will you make him Lord? It's not just to be saved. I don't know if you noticed this. When I just asked Kimberly if she would repeat that good confession, I didn't just say, I accept you as my Savior, which is a part of it, but I also accept you as my Lord. That means my King. The the, the idea that I'm going to to try to put your wishes and your will ahead of my own wants. That includes coming to maybe a church on Sunday morning where you don't know anyone. Uh, It's uncomfortable. It's it's difficult. But I'm going to do that. It may mean I'm going to honor my spouse and my parents when it's, when it's not really socially uh, advantageous. It means I'm going to uh, put your will and your ways first in my lives. Here's another question. He asked in John 11. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He says, Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, if you put your faith in me, you're going to see God's glory? The church hasn't always lived that way. The church in around 1500 began to say, uh, the church powers would say, well, if you want to see God's glory, you've got to give this much money to the church. If you want to see God's glory, you've got to serve this way in the church. If you want to see God's glory, you've got to have a special rite of passage. You've got to come to the priest and do this or that. In fact, in the 1500s, it was a very dark time for church culture because the Roman Catholic Church was manipulating people to believe that salvation was based on how much you gave or what you did. And it was so much so, they didn't let the people have the word to dive deep. It was in Latin, and they just told the people what they were to do until a man by the name of Martin Luther 
nailed his 95 thesis to the doors of the church and sent it to Rome. And it changed church culture for the good. Getting the word of God back into the people so they could dive deep. To know that righteousness doesn't come from how much money you have, your last name, or how much you do for the priest. Righteousness comes from God through faith in Christ. Amen? And it changed the world. Martin Luther was convicted in his heart by Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to share it with you now. Look what the word of God says. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And then there's a period there, literally. Our righteousness comes by faith in Christ. Hold on to your faith in Christ. As scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is through faith in Jesus that God gives us righteousness because of what he did for us on the cross. Not by what you do or don't do. Not by how much money you have or don't have. Not by your name or or how much you're connected to the right church. It is by faith in Jesus. That's the beginning. And Jesus says, if you put your faith in me and me alone, you'll live. So let me ask you, where's your... This is a question for you to wrestle with. Where sometimes does your thinking get distorted and think that my faith in... My faith is not enough, and I've got to do this, this, and this. What that does, it says Jesus is enough, which Jesus is always enough. But when we understand that Jesus is always enough, what we do out of our flow to, to pay respect to him for what he did, we, we serve him, we make him Lord of our lives. Here's another question. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and there were thousands there at first. He was given a sermon. It began to be a very difficult topic, and people just kept fading away. They kept going away. They kept leaving Jesus' teaching. They, 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 there were the point where there was really hardly anyone left, just really his disciples. And here was his question. Jesus said to them, will you also go away? Will you go away too? Just like the rest of them did. He was talking about service. He was talking about honoring his, his body, uh, what we're going to celebrate during the Lord's Supper. There'll be a day where you, where you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we don't want any part of that. And, and so they left him before they could fully understand. They weren't ready to dive deep. And here's what I'm asking you to do. When things get difficult, are you going to run away? Or are you going to be like, no, Lord, teach me. Uh, take me deeper. Help me to understand. Because there's a time in our church right now, I think this very much applies, where churches, entire church families are saying, this is difficult, Uh, we want that part of the Bible, Uh, we'll take that because it makes us feel good, but this stuff that's hard, we're walking away from it. Jesus say, will you go away? I don't know if you've noticed since the last couple years, when things were difficult and we really didn't know what to do, there was a lot of people that said, I really don't need to be a part of the church family that much, I think I'll just walk away. Will you walk away too? I love the fact that they're There's people uh, returning to church, but there's a lot of people that have walked away. My question for you is, when will be the point where you're like, no, I think this is too much, or will you stay faithful no matter what? Will you go away also? Jesus is asking the question, not of the disciples, but to each one of us. Here's possibly the most relevant question of the day, and we're going to end with. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Kimberly just answered that question. She says, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? That question was, was out of the context of popularity and political correctness. Jesus had taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, a, a very much of a, a political and popular place to be. It was really trendy, okay? And, and he just is there among all the people, and he asked the disciples this question. Look with me to the text to Matthew 16. He asked his disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus is kind of leading them in with the question. He realized that everybody wants to please people. We're going to see that very much in the next couple months as we get into these political elections. Politicians, so many of them, uh, don't lead out of personal conviction. They lead out of popularity and what's politically correct. Jesus knows this here 2,000 years ago, and he says, what do the people say? Notice the disciples knew. They'd been paying attention. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, some Jeremiah and one of the prophets. So they knew what was popular. But Jesus says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The testimony you just heard repeated that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, who we can trust for salvation. And Jesus says, it is by the Holy Spirit that this has been revealed to you, Peter, not by your popular friends, not by any political influence. It is by the Holy Spirit that your heart believes that I am God's Son, the Savior of the world. And by that, you'll be blessed. And the church will be blessed. And people today are still making that personal profession. So here's two different ways that we can answer this question and grow deep. First is this. We can all grow deep professing the truth of God's word, not worried about what's popular. And you need to make a commitment today. It's kind of easy to say, oh, yeah, we're going to do that today. There's a couple hundred people in the church building. We're not alone. What happens on Thursday when you guys are at school, you high schoolers, and all of a sudden it feels like you're alone, and somebody asks you a question, are you going to do what's popular or what the Word of God uh, convicts you to personally? Or, or tomorrow at work, you guys that are working full time. Or maybe when you go on vacation with friends. Whatever it may be, the question is, Who do you say Jesus is? What are you going to answer? Professing the truth or what's popular? We need to do it with gentleness and respect, but we've got to be clear. Jesus is the Christ. That's what we're clinging to. Have you noticed there's opinions everywhere? If you haven't, log on to Facebook this afternoon. or or You know, I saw someone post this morning, the, the, the easiest way to start a fight on the Internet is post an opinion. Try it today. Let's not do that. I've I've been down that road before. Let's be very careful to to seek unity. But there's opinions everywhere. Have you noticed, actually, uh, when people are bold with their opinions, it's very profitable? If you watch TV very much, you see these talk shows, opinion talk shows. You you see uh, different uh, uh, shows and maybe even news broadcasts that all you have is talking heads saying this opinion, this opinion, and we don't get very much news anymore, but it sells. it's, it's It's what people are turning into. Can you imagine if Jesus was on one of those shows? Just for example, if you've ever seen The View, can you imagine if Jesus appeared on The View tomorrow? And there are all these views going on, and Jesus is just sitting there listening. And what do you think he's going to do? He's probably going to ask questions. Can you imagine if one of the, the hosts of The View is talking about how to raise a family and how to get along with your spouse or whatever it may be, how to, how to have the best relationships, and, and they're just talking, 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 expressing their view? Jesus' first question would be like, could be something like this, like the woman at the well. Um, who's your husband? And, and they would begin to maybe share who their husband is, who, who they're with right now. And Jesus says, that's not your husband. And the person you've been with the last few years, none of them be your husband. The, the man you're with last night's not your husband. Can you imagine the political incorrect uh, response that Jesus would? How dare you? Who, who are you to judge? Who are you to even ask a question? And all, all Jesus did was ask a question. Jesus' straightforward response to the truth doesn't play very well, but we've got to commit to speak the truth in love, even when it's not popular, for the sake of growth. But what gives you the right? 
be very careful that we don't fall into this idea of pluralism, that everyone in anyone's views are right. There's a point when right is right and wrong is wrong and sin is sin, but we need to speak the truth in love. What's happened in our world and across the culture, in our families, and yes, our churches, is we make decisions based on what's popular, and nobody knows the truth anymore in a lot of sectors. And if you raise your family on what's popular, you know who's going to run your house, at least in my house, is my four boys, because they outweigh all the rest of us, and it's not right. And if we're not careful, it can happen. Grow deep by professing God's truth and not worried about what's popular. Here's the last one. Grow deep with personal conviction for Christ, not merely because it's personally comfortable. Look back to the thing. Jesus concerned what you personally think. Who do you say that I am? He was asking the disciples that that day. But let me ask you this. Who do you say Jesus is? You've got to answer that question at some point in your life. Who, who do you, in your heart of hearts, your mind, way down deep inside, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus declared who he was. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said, but what do you say? For people that care what's popular and what's comfortable, this isn't the right answer. But Peter was willing to say it. It wasn't right for Peter to say either. That People were crucified upside down at times. They were burned at the stake for declaring Jesus was the Lord of their lives instead of the king. And yet Peter was saying, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But who do you say? By the way, Jesus uh, was crucified like we understand, but Peter was crucified upside down. In respect to his Lord and Savior Jesus, he says, don't crucify me normally. Crucify me upside down, and I'm doing that in honor in my Lord and Savior that question changed Peter's life. It made the foundation of the church. And it can change your life if you answer it that Jesus is your Lord. It can change any of your family's lives. In fact, I know a family it changed. I heard the testimony about three months ago. I, I rode with Pat File up to Springfield to see her son Ronnie was in the hospital. How many of you know Pat File? Awesome. Ronnie still needs our prayers. He is doing better, but he's still fragile and, and needs to be able to digest his food a little differently. So we keep praying for Ronnie. But uh, Pat and I were going to see Ronnie up at the hospital, and she started telling me their life story, and it's amazing. Pat began to teach Sunday school, and she was a student herself as, as a high school student. She fell in love with Joe File, and they began a family, and for a a little while, life was rough. There was questions all over the place. Some rough things happened. There was turmoil. And she was praying, God, uh, lead my husband, Joe, to church. She, she continued to go to church. But then finally, a year, in a great, a year with, within a great tragedy of their life, Joe started coming to church. He started coming to Sunday school. And listen to the rest of their story. Watch this. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Pat File, one of my dear friends. Recently, she shared with me her love for the Bible. And while I knew that was true, her story touched my heart. So I wanted her to share it with you. Uh, Pat, when did you really start being into the Bible and studying it? When I was a child, my parents um, had a Christian parents. And they took me to church and Sunday school every Sunday. Awesome. And, and you grew up with that love and, and grew in your life. And then I understand you got married when did you and your family start going to church and uh, Sunday school together? Well, probably not for about a year after we got married. Okay. Because my husband was a young Christian and he wasn't 
at that time, he wasn't a very strong Christian. He just just become a Christian. I know that um, early on in, in uh, Ron's life, Ronnie's life, there were some difficulties. And during that time, your husband began to attend Sunday school. Was that helpful for him whenever you guys were going through that struggle? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's why he got that's why he really got started because he got the support and the, and the strength from to face what it, what we had to so during that time you're already teaching Sunday school even before you're married and your husband's faith I remember started growing through the word what were the things that helped him uh, in Sunday school for life uh, as you look back on it what was something that made him stronger well, I think it was just a teacher, and we had a good, very good teacher, uh, Forrest Elam, and he was, he was strong, and he became real good friends with my husband too, and and uh, so that helped. Now I know your husband started teaching as well. Did he teach for Forrest, or did he teach a new class then? He he taught a, court, a uh, fourth grade boys. Fourth grade boys. Yeah. Now, what class did you teach? First and second grade, boys and girls. Great. Um, your husband also went on to uh, be a leader at this church, correct? Yeah, he was deacon and then he was an elder, and uh, and he be, and he was Sunday school superintendent for quite a few years. And I wonder how many of the people out there today have ever been taught by Pat. What a, what a great joy to be able to sit with you. Yeah. I believe you've taught hundreds of, of kids in Greenville and Bond County, and now uh, uh, grandparents of our own children were, were taught by Pat, who are now teaching, and elders. And so I'm so thankful yeah. that you as a child uh, were in the Word, guided by your parents, and then you led your husband to be in the Word, and then he began to teach others and, and lead the church. What a great way to see God growing His church by being in the Word. That, that's, what, that's what strengthened him and made him stronger and me stronger. What would you tell uh, someone out there today that maybe is just coming to church um, but hasn't went into a Bible study or a small group to study God's Word, what they will be blessed by in doing that? Well, they would be blessed. That's that's the thing. That's, it's going to be a blessing. Yeah, yeah, because uh, no matter how good you preach, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They, they, you need, you need more. Mm -hmm. You need to really get in God's word and uh, and help get the strength from from the learning yourself. And yeah. and, uh, and if you don't get in Sunday school class, you aren't going to do it. Yeah, it's very hard to do it on our own every day. We need that yeah. accountability, and that relationship, like your husband found, like you found. And like you were for so many of these boys and girls that are now men and women. And so we want to thank you, Pat, for your investment in boys and girls and in your family for God's glory. I, got, I was blessed. Amen. How many of you were taught by Joe or Pat File or shared in Sunday school with them? Raise your hand. Let's give God glory for that testimony.
it changed your life. I don't know if you noticed, what was the blessing of being in that Sunday school, that Bible study uh, for Joe? He, he, he connected with the leader, the teacher, and then I can't help but un, uh, that just imagine that there was truth taught. He had questions. Hey, why is this happening? And they wrestled with it together, and he loved it so much, he says, I want to be a part of this. It changed their lives. The best place to wrestle with questions is not actually in this time in a big setting. While, like Pat says, Tyson, you can be a good preacher, but you're not enough. Amen. Pat knows. So if you want to wrestle with things, you do it with your, in, in your home. You do it in a, in a small group. You do it in a, a Sunday school class. You, you do it in, in a setting where you can ask questions. So let me ask you this. Are you doing that? There's a Sunday school class, a Bible study for everyone at 945 in this building. Every room is full. And you can join. They're not full, but there's people in there. You can, you can go to a room and begin to ask questions and dive deep. We've got small groups that meet throughout the week. On, on Wednesday, starting September 14th, we're going to have our new Wednesday night small group start up. And they're going to just uh, be a Bible study small group. There's also um, a special group that will meet until Christmas time called Parenting in the Digital Age. Andrea Andrus is going to be leading those questions. Those are tough questions. What do we do in this, if I'm parenting this five-year-old and they're on YouTube? What should we do? How do we handle a teenager with Snapchat? If those things matter to you, dive into that on September 14th. You can sign up for any of those in the foyers you leave today. But I want to leave you with this. Tom Rayner, in his new book, High, High Expectations, shared this statistic, that if you want to get plugged in, if you want to be growing deep, you're five times more likely to continue to grow and be plugged into the church if you join some type of Bible study that's in God's Word. Five times more likely to continue uh, to mature and, and be a, a thriving part of God's church family. So I want to challenge you to do that. Through Sunday school, through a small group, through a, a question and answer class. Let's dive deep together. But here's the most important question as we leave. Have you made Jesus Lord? Who do you say He is? I know we're going to have one baptism today. Maybe there's others that need to be made. Would you stand with us and sing? Father in heaven, help us to clearly come before you and, and pronounce you Lord. And Lord, I thank you for Kimberly's testimony, and I thank you for more testimonies we're going to hear today. Father, let us all answer in our own hearts who we say you are, who your son is. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.